8,000 new cases. The pandemic is real. Hello and welcome to episode number 89 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Monday, August 24th, 2020. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where both of our baseball teams were playing each other this weekend, and I don't think anybody really cared. And from America's left coast, where fatal SSH errors aren't always as fatal as they seem, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Well, not fatal to you as a human being, but I mean, to those processes. And I appreciate that. (laughs) I mean, as a user of software, I really appreciate it when it doesn't kill me. If your if your computer fatal errors were your fatal errors, I mean, who would be left? Only the Luddites. I yeah, and Microsoft. Microsoft, big bad Windows <laughs> confused. Everybody there would be dead day one. Yes, Windows has encountered a problem and has to close. Yeah. I, I thank you. That's its default state. You know, I tell you, there's computer issues no matter what no matter what uh, software you're dealing with no matter what operating system because of the change which everybody that's a dude named ben knows what i'm talking about the change and the security errors because of samba one which nobody should be running anymore but you know the old operating systems on the oh, old yeah. math devices oh it would yeah it was there was an amazing protocol Lots of exploits that that we could use, lots of vulnerabilities we could exploit with that one. Yes. So I went and like, okay, cool. Windows 10 turned off the Samba one and engaged the new Samba and tried to connect to my uh, disk station, the Synology Synology. I always say that wrong. You know what I mean? The device that uh, didn't want to connect. What? I, I never know what you mean, but go on. You do. Syn- Syn- I always say it wrong, though. It's Synology or is it Synology? I, I'm always yeah, I missing know. an O or I'm adding an O. Sinatra G. Sinatra G. See, I like that better. But I got a lot yeah. of crap the one time because I kept saying it wrong in a show. And it's like, yeah, but you know what I mean? So give me a little break here. Um, but it kept coming back, even though I went in and I turned off Samba 1 and I said, OK, minimum Samba 2, maximum Samba 3 on the network attached storage device went back to windows the device you're trying to connect to requires samba one is thus we won't connect you to it okay screw you and it took me way too long because you, you we get way too used to this even dudes named ben people that kind of understand what's going on in the in the background get way too used to when you have a web interface that you go into your browser and just you know change the settings you get way too used to just believing this is doing the right thing and it's not always. I, I never believe that about my software, especially commercial software. Yeah, I do. And that's that's bad. That is a bad thing. I've learned I, that. I yet always again. assume it's doing a thing. It is. That's as far as I'm willing to go. It's doing a thing. And in this case, I finally tracked down the config file or Samba on the network attached storage device and noticed it was just a mess. I have no idea how this happened. Because it's all just been, I mean, I've never gone in and messed I, with I, it. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you how it happened. Bad it's, software. It's whenever, whenever a web interface decides to fuck with your config text files, uh-huh. that's what you know, those config text files, they may, they may have a .txt uh, extension on them or they may not. 
Dot com. They're not going to be human readable anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it was the problem was I noticed that the minimum and maximum settings for the Samba service, there were multiple entries for both for the maximum and minimum. So I'm like, all right, I wiped the whole text file, went back into the web interface because I didn't want to go and try to figure out how to do all of these settings over again. But I backed it up first just in case, then wiped it, then went back to the web interface, did the settings over again. Boom, all of a sudden, the text file from the config was readable, and all of a sudden, it worked as it should. So from I can understand the normal person who's just buying one of these things and thinking that all they ever have to do is go into the web interface, and they never have to learn how to go in with something like Putty to SSH or Telnet into a device and understand the basic commands and how to find That's the honestly config how files. I prefer to do it. Well, once you're used to it. Once you're used to it and know what you're doing, that is a more efficient way to go. But for your average consumer, it would be a lot of work and a lot of knowledge and a lot of trial and error to figure that yeah, part but out. Can can we all agree that the average consumer really shouldn't be fucking with these things? You know, yes and no. I mean, it would be nice to have a device that would work. But yes, you, when you fall into issues like this, this is where, unfortunately, where somebody that knows what they're doing can just go and edit a text file and your device starts working again. Unfortunately, for people that don't know what they're doing, they end up calling somebody out or taking this in and paying hundreds of dollars for somebody to figure the problem out. For. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm I'm gatekeeping here. And the you know, technology, we, we on this show, we try to champion the technology should be available for the user, even if you're not a dude named Ben. And so I definitely appreciate when somebody manages to correctly write uh, some kind of web interface or something that that makes it accessible to go in and modify these config files. But the story that you just told is about somebody who screwed up their web interface. <laughs> and, and that is not doing anybody any favors because you're annoying the dudes named Ben who are like, well, why didn't I just SSH into it? And you're making it broken for reasons that people who just want to get the thing to work and don't want to know about computers are sitting here going, okay, it doesn't work. Do I throw it away and get a new one? Right. Well, maybe that's the planned obsolescence <laughs> feature that they're going for. I don't know. Oh, it may be because that's the same device that you have to go in and turn off their new indexing service. Otherwise the CPU on this old device, because this I mean, I get it. They're updating the software for all of their devices, including the ones they're currently making. So they keep adding features like everybody does that takes up more and more CPU, more and more memory. And the devices that are really old that they want you to get rid of, they go down and just stop working. They Their CPU gets overloaded. Memory gets overloaded. We're turning the indexing service off, something that I've never really used, don't really want to use. All of a sudden, it becomes a very functional network attached storage device again. So. You know, I've got issues with stuff like that. And I have issues with the fact that I knew this was obviously a problem with the configuration of the Samba service, but there was absolutely nothing in the web interface that would say, go back to scratch. Cause I tried all that stuff, you know, and there was nothing that was like, wipe everything, start from scratch. And if they could have just wiped the config file themselves and rewritten it, it would have been fine. But, you know, we eventually figured it out, but most people wouldn't. All I'm saying is this kind of configuration hell is the kind of thing that that drives people to go buy turnkey solutions from Apple. Yeah. And I understand why, because it just works. Allegedly, most yeah. of the time, 
Well, Apple stumbled on a pretty powerful formula. It just works for 90% of the people. It will do exactly what you want, exactly the way you want. And that's because 90% of the people believed Steve Jobs when he got up on stage and said, this is what you want and this is how you want it. And they went along with that. They're like, okay, that is what I want. Okay, I get that. And Apple does that. And for the 10% of people who are contrarians who want to do something that Steve Jobs didn't tell you you wanted to do, um, that's where Apple devices start to fail. And that's why I don't run Apple. But I, I get that for most people who are okay with wanting what Steve Jobs told you to want, that Apple does exactly that. And it's amazing. And it it might be overpriced, but if you really don't want the headaches, then you might find it worth it. Yes. Well, because he was a genius that figured out you could incorporate your desktop laptop, you could incorporate your phone, your tablet, everything that it would all work together as well. So, I mean, there's nothing better than keeping people in an overpriced ecosystem where you can overcharge for multiple pieces of hardware. Oh, yes. And then and then share the clipboard between all of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> including passwords. Yes, it turns out Apple's security isn't what it once was, or maybe it never was. It, and it, it was just obscurity. Was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome to the obscurity. But that is one of the uh, top stories that we have to talk about today. And it's weird because we both came across a similar concept from uh, different places. It appears mine was just shortly before the show today while perusing a few things on Twitter. Our buddy Paul, the book guy, posted a, uh, a screenshot for something that was on uh, a news story. And then I found an article on this which was off the uh, Daily Mail's website, but it was, you know, smartphone app built by scientists knows when you're drunk by using the devices built in sensors. And this was a study they did out of Stanford University. And we all know, I mean, if you have a little bit too much to drink, you know, you stumble a little bit, you don't walk, your your gait's a little bit different the way you walk. So everything's a little bit off. And these sensors in your phone can pick this up. They said with 90% accuracy it censors hell the recipient of my text messages can tell when i'm using my phone drunk (laughs) well if you're texting i mean see this is the intriguing part because the it was pointed out at least in paul's original tweet they didn't really have anything in this uh you know the article from the daily mail but he's like oh and your insurance company can get this legally your bank can get this information legally and i was like well wait how's your insurance company gonna get that's frightening well, it is because I asked the question, how's the inf- insurance company going to get this information? And our buddy, Adam Curry, the podfather, responded back with apps, baby. And I'm like, right, because this is right back to Sir Bemrose telling oh, yeah. us don't install any apps ever. Don't do it. And, 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 you know, what is the path to get the information? Well, the moment that you use an app, the, the app is a an app is in general a very good vehicle for taking your personal data and sending it to the cloud where you have no control over it and the company who wants to make more money can sell that data to insurance companies who want more data on you and there you have it it's a circle of life insurance companies make more money by charging you more because you did something on your phone that they didn't want you to do it's yeah well and it's it, right it's you know the, the circle of bad data when you're opting in I get it because I have opted in to State Farms because one, once I lost vision, the car that I drive sits in the garage. I mean, literally almost all the time. So I get a much cheaper rate on my insurance, but I never drive. So this kind of works out for me. I understand why a lot of people would not want to 
tie your cell phone thing into an app that would have to be reporting to your insurance company. I get it. It works for me. I want the lower rates. In this case, though, it's like, would people really be opting in if, you know, if you have an insurance app on your phone, it'd be like, well, yeah, let them know every time I get drunk. So maybe if I get behind the wheel, you can, uh, you know, you can use this against me. Or are we back to the concept that we talked about a few shows ago where way more apps than you believe have access to your data and they're selling them or sharing them to people with people that you aren't even aware of? Yeah. First of all, I wanted to say it, it, it was cute that you you the first place you went was that this data would somehow only be given to the insurance company with your approval. Right. Well, legally, <laughs> that should be the way it is. But, you know, <laughs> this is where the You're lawsuits are coming. Laws apply to Silicon Valley. <laughs> well, they do kind of. And we're seeing that a little. <laughs> but um, only when only when somebody isn't on the payroll in Washington, D.C. and chooses to enforce it. Well, this is the intriguing part. Now, the question is, you know, as a, as a company and this is just picking somebody at random and they're already under the bus. But TikTok, for instance, you know, are they sharing information with your insurance company because they're the ones that people always are leaving the app on, you know, or Twitter, anything that people are always leaving these things on for notifications or running in the background. You know, if they're the ones that are sending the information to your insurance company or to your bank or God forbid now. Let's all understand if we ever get to fully socialized medicine in the United States and they have this in places like the UK and Canada, I believe that, oh, you know what? Yeah, you got a liver problem, but you were drunk 14 times last month. So you're not getting the uh, you're not getting the medical attention because you're you're just doing it to yourself. I, I, I have to admit, I find it funny that you chose that one because I got grilled for about five minutes on last episode for making a joke, picking the first app that came off the top of my head. It happened to be TikTok. And then I've got, you know, somebody going, hey, well, not me. what do you mean? Why do you think TikTok would do that? Yeah, not you know, me. it was, it was our was, guest, was our Progo. guest Progo, who, uh, who, who lives on straddling Poe's law. Uh, I mean, that dude's sarcasm is as subtle as it comes. I mean, I prefer Tiki Miki's uh, law. I absolutely appreciate Progo being on. But yeah, he had me a little off balance. So <laughs> let maybe we don't do that again. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> or, or or maybe we do because you like tormenting me. I don't know. It was a lot of fun, which is why I posted yep. the waveform of the conversation, because it was one where I got to sit back for a lot of the show and just listen. And then Proga was interrupting you and you were interrupting him and he was disagreeing with you and you were yeah, disagreeing that's, with that's him. That's the other thing he he has on most of our guests is he is really quite good at interrupting. And normally I've got a monopoly in that department. So it was it was a little bit disconcerting to be fed some of my own medicine. I didn't like it that much. Made me grumpy. And then he, he actually backs it up with facts and knowing what he's talking about. And that yeah, we don't what the like. Fuck. <laughs> Where did that? I, we don't do that on this show. This is ruining the format, Progo. We're supposed to be unhinged without any information behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Guys okay. making us look bad. And we don't need him for that. True. We can do that ourselves, And we don't even need our cell phones spying on us to tell us that. But. They are the ultimate spy devices. That is really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the bottom it, line here. It, it's not just cell phones, but yes, they are. They're quite amazing. We, we carry all these sensors around in our pocket, and then we don't even have any control over what software is running on them. I, is there a better combination? Uh, I did want to mention, though, there's, there was one point where you, you hypothesized that uh, you install an app from a company, and then that company is giving your data to insurance 
And it, it were it so easy, you could just avoid that one app and you'd be fine. Uh, the problem is there's there's you know a couple of ways that are a little bit more nefarious um, that involve uh, what is called data brokers. There are companies out there that will not say anything about this is for insurance. What they'll say is, uh, hey, uh, you know, they'll go to they'll go to fifteen different apps, uh, you know, six of which you might have on your phone. And they'll say to the company, hey, could you use an extra $15 million this quarter? Um, we'd like to buy your database. And, and of course, we're not trying to wholesale take all it. Go ahead and anonymize it because we've got supercomputers that can break that anyway. Um, but, you know, do whatever you need to do. But we just like, you know, and then, then they give the sales pitch to the company saying, well, it seems innocuous. And uh, in a lot of cases, the company actually believes that they're protecting it. But they're just making a little extra money on the side because they've got all this data they've been collecting on in aggregate on people. And data is valuable in aggregate. And if it were only aggregate data, then it's really difficult to pin it down to a particular user. Turns out that there's usually enough information in there that you can compute and get specific user information. But the data brokers will go to these companies that have databases of all their users and say, yeah, we'll just give you a little extra grease if you want to turn over all your data and don't worry, we won't do anything bad with it. But they don't say what they're going to do. Then the data brokers turn around like fucking unscrupulous real estate agents and flip it the next day and sell it to everybody they can. Insurance companies, uh, apparently now they're selling data brokers are now selling large databases of user data to uh, government agencies. Because it is illegal for the government to collect this much information, right. uh, especially things like wiretaps on, you know, it's illegal for the government to listen in on your house. But if you record yourself on a, say, some kind of listening device and that information gets sent to the Amazon cloud and then Amazon sells it to a data broker and then the data broker turns around and sells it to the government. Hey, the government has all your recorded conversations and there was nothing illegal about it. What could go wrong? Yeah. So uh, the the environment around this is a lot more nefarious than you install the TikTok app and then TikTok sells your data to your insurance company. It, it, it It's a lot more insidious and it's a lot harder to keep safe by just picking out one company and uninstalling their app. Well, yeah, it's a much more interesting end run because we talked about that before these spy devices came about, whether you're talking cell phones or any of these smart devices, it was illegal for, and we know the stuff probably still happened, but the CIA, for instance, could not listen in on American conversations. They're only supposed to be doing things overseas, but then they would buy information. The CIA would go over to like, you know, the UK's version of the CIA and go, yeah, this Pemrose guy, we got a problem. I mean, maybe you can listen in and see if anything's going on because we can't, you oh, know, yeah. we can't do this. But now you don't need other yeah. spy agencies. Silicon Valley is well, I mean, providing you, it. If you just broaden your definition of what is a spy agency, it absolutely includes Google and Facebook and Amazon. Yes. And while there are good, good, good reasons that this these devices exist especially for people with visual impairments. There's people that really need somebody kind of listening in. If, if something goes wrong, you know, you hear dishes breaking or a window breaking, as we found out, this is now in Google's programming to then alert, you know, oh, the, the smoke alarm's going off. Just understand that we are at the point that these devices are not just triggered by a keyword 
and then listening. They are now undoubtedly listening all the time. They're listening for different triggers, whether it's a keyword, whether it's a sound they've been programmed to hear like a smoke alarm and whether or not anybody is using this nefariously right now, know that it's just the flip of a switch for that to happen or a hacker to get into your device. I don't know which is more likely at this point. I, it's it's highly likely that you'll flip a switch, but honestly, I'm not sure I'm going to. I don't have the statistics to determine if that's more common than how often you get hacked when you install these unsecured devices in your house. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what rabbit hole I ended up going down when I was doing research this morning. I, I not, not actual work, just research. You, you know, that don't do that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, do you have any uh, wearable devices like a smartwatch, a Fitbit, uh, any of that sort of thing? I do not. At this particular moment, but I am, and this is going to be the evil thing. I'm considering the Apple Watch just due to the uh, AFib incident that I had, and knowing from the doctors and cardiologists that this does a better job monitoring that than uh, pretty much anything else they can give me. But I also know if I go that route, I'm giving up health data to Apple. So there's oh, that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and possibly more than you know, but we'll. I, I didn't investigate the Apple Watch per se, other than than uh, agencies deciding what they can and can't do, and trying to. Uh, you know, a lot of this is is not concrete information, or it's not nobody's implemented this yet. But there's there's talk, uh, specifically amongst the uh, Bluetooth SIG. Uh, SIG stands for Special Interest Group, which to me is kind of ominous. But um, you know, maybe I just follow too much politics. Uh, but the Bluetooth SIG, uh, the the body in charge of the Bluetooth standards, are talking about developing a new Bluetooth standard to add to Bluetooth, which allows uh, COVID tracking in, in in every Bluetooth device. Um, they say that most Bluetooth devices these days can be modified with a firmware push, which means that millions of smartwatches and uh the the uh, the one that they specifically talked about was the fitbit um which uh, dame bemrose is a huge fan of her fitbit and i understand it seems very you know it like she gets a text message on her phone which is in the other room it pops up on her wrist i get that that's convenient uh well it's but, convenient and people love you can compete with your friends who walk more who's doing more it's a oh yes an encouragement device it's or a yes, training she's device definitely definitely big on that she's in she's in a couple groups i you know she really loves it and i'm not going to be able to convince her to give it up however there are uh potential concerns depending on what gets rolled out now again everything that with with this is is there are people who think that this would be a really cool idea and i'm just going to tell you the idea and then remain frightened about it um they say that uh the real target for this is it's intended for uh children who you usually don't want to buy another smartphone for them or not have them have a smartphone or for a runner who doesn't want to take it or for people in care homes where you're not always near your phone. So they want, you know, they want, they say that uh, we, you know, now that we've got COVID tracking apps on everybody's smartphone, we need to get all the people who don't have smartphones. And for that, we are talking about attaching wearable devices to them. Uh, Fitbit is a, an obvious target because a lot of people wear it. Um, one of the quotes from one of the people in the SIG said, 
A kid wearing a Fitbit could go about their day downloading the location and health data to their parents' phone when they get home from school. So I I, I assure you that a Fitbit has, uh, you know, a lot of these have GPS. An Apple smartwatch has location data. You know your location. You know your heart rate. You know, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure it records your mood, you know, sexual preferences. I'm not sure. But all of that data now, you know, when we don't have a Wi-Fi connection, um, they're developing ways that you can just keep it all on the tracker uh, on the device up until you attack, you send it to the smartphone and send it up. So, you know, everywhere your kid's been, um, one thing that, uh, you know, that, that could be sold on this is that uh, this same technology could be used as a, a virtual leash for your kid. Be like, uh, Hey, you know, I told you not to go to the park today and, and your smartwatch, your Fitbit tells me that you were there for, uh, 18.3 minutes and uh, okay um we have cell phones will do that now and the cell phones will do that immediately which it you know for the uh, devices the samsung ones we have now didn't do this as well as when we had the apple phones my wife was using this to track her time at work because she's salaried and wanted to know how much time she was really spending at work so we went in on the apple device with the open source you know the program everybody can use it online if that uh, if this then that.com i think it is and set up the you know gps coordinates for the location where she works and literally the minute she got into that location boom it went into you could have it go anywhere in this case it was into a google spreadsheet boom 9 a.m at work boom six o'clock yeah. left work and it's, that's that's funny because the 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 google api does precisely that and sends that exact data to google already nice i mean i i don't know if you get access to it but i have seen like when you go if you've ever gone and by the way i do recommend that you do this if you have a google account is go into the google interface sometime and tell them you want to download all of the data that they have about you they're oh, now yeah. apparently required by law to be able to provide that but they're not required by law to make it easy so it's going to take some clicks but if you download all that data start sifting through one of the things that they'll have is uh, a day by day breakdown of like minute by minute. What was your location? Yes. On a map, which you can see has it. all on a map, which has all been sent to Google and they have that stored. They know where you were day to day, uh, just waiting for law enforcement to uh, to get a warrant and uh, or, or not and, well, and get. Yeah, that was the most interesting thing when we switched from the Apple phones to the Android phone that. We would go to restaurants and not do any of the check in. I mean, no four square, nothing like that. Wasn't checking in or anything like that. And like the next day would be like, oh, tell us about your experience at this restaurant. And it's like, how did you know I was at that restaurant? That was, yeah, it's weird. It is very, very weird. Like, well, the food was excellent. And I love this. You know, the service was excellent. I really enjoyed the food. But some fucking Silicon Valley company was tracking me the whole time. Yeah. Which is why I went in. I downloaded all of the data from my wife's account and from my account, deleted it all from Google. Like that really deletes it. I know. I get yeah, it. Yeah. And I, I clicked the little button. Yeah. Not and I to don't keep really the, have a. Yeah. Then you click the button. I don't to have not a profile co- at Facebook either. Right. And you click the button to not collect the data. And then sure, they're not really collecting the data. You know, I don't buy that either. Um, but, you know, that's all you can do if you're going to run one of those phones without hacking and cracking. I'm, I've been waiting. Yeah because it's currently still a lot of effort yeah it is because there's still no 
replacement for the latest Samsung phone for the open source uh, AOSP or whatever the the different versions of Android yeah. that people are rolling without the Google stuff in it. Well, the the problem is that each phone has enough custom crap in it that you have to make the ROM custom for each model of phone, right. which takes a lot of work from the open source community. And I totally understand why that would be slow because it's a handful of volunteers who are. And of course, you know, Samsung doesn't publish all of the hardware specs and, and interfaces for this. So you have to re, a small handful of engineer of, of volunteers have to reverse engineer whatever the hell Samsung did in their latest version and then modify the ROM and patch some code and finally get everything in. And then there's a lot of testing. Done. It's a lot of work. And I, I understand, you know, there's a lot of demand for it. But if, if there's somebody out there who really gets into programming on these things, there you can do a lot worse than trying to join an open source project where you help test AOSP ROMs on commercial phones. Do it for your pop pop. It, it, I mean, it would benefit the community. It would benefit lots and lots of users. Now, let me ask you this. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Bluetooth specifications, but does way the, more than I want to be. Now, is there a uniquely identify is there a unique identifier that goes out if you have a bluetooth device on say and walk into a store or you come into contact with somebody with a phone and they see your bluetooth device is there a unique identifier so even if you don't have a phone if you just have a bluetooth wristband and you come in contact with somebody that's got covid or whatever the reason may be will their device picking up your bluetooth know that you were in contact with them or is uh or does Bluetooth not like the cell that automatically gives an IMEI or it gives a Mac address that can be tracked? So it does have a Mac address, um, but that information is not usually broadcast with a Bluetooth handshake. So you would have to have if 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 some if, if an attacker has control over the software that's running, they can send any data that they want and you're kind of screwed. Uh, if you are just concerned about a Bluetooth handshake, then. Uh, as far as I'm aware, there is no unique identifier in a Bluetooth handshake, which does make the protocol safer than Wi-Fi, which does, in fact, broadcast your MAC address to every access point that it can that it can ping, uh, which is one reason why if you want privacy while walking around outside, you should be turning your Wi-Fi off. Um, yeah. But if uh, that assumes that you trust all the software running on your device. And if there is software that does want to track you, it's easy enough to connect with a Bluetooth handshake, send a packet that contains a Mac address or, or even your full name, address, social security number, and you know, date of birth and, and blood type. It's easy enough to send that in, in a handshake and then disconnect. Well, soon the government for people that don't want to carry their cell phones around, it'll be like the new house arrest, you know, ankle monitor. You'll just get one of these things and be like, ah, everywhere you go, it'll send out your information. So we oh, know. Oh, we're, we're getting there. Let me get back to my health tracking story. <laughs> Take us uh, down the rabbit hole. Ryan. Okay. Well, um, I, I wanted to finish up with the Fitbit and uh, point out that there are uh, it, it's not just talking in the standards group. There are, in fact, uh, researchers out there who are investigating uh, the best way to use wearable devices and Bluetooth devices in order to do this uh, in order to track people uh specifically they're talking about doing covid tracking as and as we know uh anything to do with covid or the word pandemic is really 
an excuse to come up with more invasive ways to control your life. Uh, the, the virus is not nearly as dangerous as the things people are doing in the name of the virus. Um, but uh, let's see. One of the researchers says uh, in a pandemic that has so far stubbornly resisted high tech countermeasures, mass deployment of health trackers could be a powerful new public health weapon. Uh, they acknowledge that the problem with Fitbits in particular is people having to buy one. And so uh, there is, for example, a study in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, which is distributing devices to uh, what, what they say, you know, uh, well, the problem they identified is if you the, the Fitbits tend to skew toward more affluent people, people who have, you know, two hundred fifty dollars to waste on something that they attach to their wrists, right. which doesn't tend to include the really poor people. So uh, this Jackson, Mississippi study, which Jackson is one of the poorest cities in the nation, um, is uh, they are distributing free Fitbits to anybody that meets their income requirements. Um, Although the uh, the story did mention uh, one thing that that I'm not going to harp too much on, but boy, would would this be picked up if if somebody on the left were uh, were to jump on it? Um, what do you suppose the demographics is of the poorest people in Jackson, Mississippi? Um, very, very poor. I mean, it's it's not exactly an affluent neighborhood. Well, I'm I'm okay. I'm referring to skin color, of course. Oh well, you mean it's the the black neighborhoods. I mean that they're apparently doing experiments on black people. I mean, that sounds like a Bill Gates kind of a thing, but you know, yeah. uh, you know, there is, there is, that is what's going on right now in America. There is a big issue all the way around and it's not about skin color. It's about economics, but the two things aren't exactly separate, which is the issue, which is why it can be pushed as race. There's a lot of poor white people too. I mean, this is, the concept oh, yeah. that nobody seems to be getting, but you know, and, I, and honestly, I, I wasn't, I, I don't think that, that race should be a particular you know, it, taking socioeconomic status into account and, and going to a particular city. I, I completely, I'm on the researcher's side here. Um, I just thought it was funny that they happened to be experimenting mostly on black people. And that was kind of a thing back in the day. Well, I mean, it still is because, they will pay you to do this stuff and the people who are desperate who need the money i mean that's how they test a lot of these drugs for side effects is they take people who don't need the drug but it's like you know we need to find out if this drug's going to cause a massive cardiac arrest in people so uh you know we'll give you like 500 bucks if you take it for a few weeks oh yeah and and i think they even touched on that uh in the latest episode of mo facts so we don't we don't have to the 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 idea that people were testing drugs on black people i think i think mo talked about that I, yeah i made the mistake of of hearing some of it <laughs> you listen to other podcasts i didn't know i try not to but unfortunately they just happen some some jerk keeps putting them on the stream what am i supposed to do yeah there's always more so so my digging in on this story actually caused me to come across uh an idea a product called a bio button have you heard of this one i have not but it sounds very high tech a bio button is a coin-sized disposable device that measures continuous vital signs temperature heart rate body position activity level um i they they don't say in their press release but there was an interview where somebody said we have 1440 temperature measurements a day so 
I'm guessing their you know continuous might be once a minute, uh, but uh, for up to 90 days, and it's um, it's effectively it's a disposable sticker that you attach to yourself. It has Bluetooth. It sends data to a smartphone in your pocket. Uh, it will store up to six hours of data before connecting to a Bluetooth and and uploading. Uh, it sends that data to a proprietary app. Um, they actually describe it in their press release as a proprietary biosensor technology and advanced analytics. The app does analytics uh, using uh, they did not actually say AI. So that's some credit in there, but they do use uh, machine algorithms to take all of this data and, you know, they, this the, the data itself is sent to the biomobile app. Uh, the app will take the data and decide, among other things, do you have COVID from from your temperature sensors, from your activity level, from everything else. And uh, these the company that is selling these things for uh, oh the other piece of uh, useful information they have because they use Bluetooth for this is uh, they will include any proximity to any other bio buttons, which Ooh. means that the the real value of this is is in getting lots and lots of people to do it. Uh, so the company sells these these little disposable stickers that you put on your upper chest for about sixty dollars a piece, and um, you know, uh, would you go out and buy one? Probably not. But here's here's the real the real place the the company is making their money um, is when governments and authority agencies decide to start requiring that you wear shit like this. Uh, the first one, and this, this is a story that's about a month old, uh, but the Cayman Islands, as part of their reopening after quarantine plan, uh, gave an option that says, you know, they, they already had the uh, mandatory government facility quarantine for 14 days, which sounds like two weeks of prison to me, but maybe it's, maybe it's nicer prison. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, you get breakfast in the morning. Can, you can avoid the 14 day mandatory, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if, if you're taking a one or two week vacation in the Cayman islands and they force you to quarantine for that, what, what is your freaking vacation? Um, but, uh, you can avoid the mandatory 14 day quarantine under the following conditions. You have proof of a negative PCR test within 72 hours of departure. Um, you have another PCR test immediately when you arrival that uh, arrive, which is also negative, and you agree to wear a bio button twenty four seven for your entire stay on the islands. Uh, oh, and of course, whether you use this or not, uh, you are required to do social distancing and wear your face diapers everywhere. But yeah, I mean, if you really, really wanted to go to the Caymans, uh, would 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 you wear this sensor? To avoid a 14 day prison sentence. Most Maybe. people, I guess, would if they really wanted to go to the Caymans and the technology is fantastic. And again, this is like everything we seem to talk about when it comes to this kind of stuff. I see the good. I see the good that it can do. But you then have to temper that with what could it be used for in a nefarious way or maybe not even nefarious. What could it be used for to strip you completely? of your freedoms and your rights, which I guess would be nefarious. Uh, you know, I, but I have to agree that the technology itself is incredible. Uh, and and I, I love that this exists 
what I don't love, and that's the the like the Cayman Island story, is the fact that the first place they decided to go is let's talk to an authoritarian government and give them a way to control the people. Well, now it's not good technology anymore. Well, that would be a good way to test it. I don't know if that what it was for, if that was just for them to make some money by selling devices. But it's amazing because I can tell you, I had a heart issue when I was a kid, seven years old. So we're going back to 1977 and wearing a heart monitor back in 1977 was a completely different thing because it recorded onto a glorified cassette tape. That's just how it worked. A very slow running cassette tape which meant that in order for this data to be read, that cassette had to go back into the hospital or wherever they were looking at this stuff. And I don't know if it was real time because you could wear these things, you know, for a couple of days at a time, they would have to read that back into a system. And then it could tell you if there were any issues where the issue I had with AFib like a year or so ago after my gallbladder surgery They sent me home with the new version of that. So this we're going, you know, like 30 years later, the new version of this device is the size of a cell phone. And because it is a cell phone, if you were having any issues, the thing would contact the hospital immediately. So, you know, you're sleeping or whatever, and your heart goes into you know cardiac arrest. The device would contact the hospital, 911, whatever it had to do. So the, the, the stuff is great. And there's life-saving abilities to it. I do worry when you now, say, attach this to your iPhone or to your Android phone, and we know how apps play together on these devices that, you know, you have a health device and all of a sudden. Or even if the apps aren't supposed to play together, how uh, insecure the inter-app boundaries are on these devices. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. So you don't know exactly who's getting the data, who's getting access to it. And that's something that needs to be worked out for me to be comfortable with it. But, you know, I think we're moving in the right direction. Just 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 for once, I would like some kind of revolutionary new life improving technology, because I got to tell you, you know, so many people throughout history have died because they happen to have a heart attack when no one else was around. And that's terrible. And if this can save a life, that's really beneficial. I just wish that some kind of you know at least once a life improving technology would come out which isn't immediately turned around for the purpose of controlling and taking away people's rights yeah but that's where we're at because that's where the money is that's where the governments want it there's no question joe biden's build back better as talked about on the no agenda show it is lifted word for word from the un it's being used in multiple countries around the world for campaigns for people that uh, you know, long story short, want to take your freedom away and turn it over to a big one-world government. Oh yeah. So um, one of the articles that I found and was featured prominently on the the Cayman Island bio button thing was from uh, a news site that was directed at travel agents. Um, so I thought that was an interest an interesting take. Travel agents are not really thrilled about this bio button thing. They are saying that the the uh, reopening slowly uh, restrictions that places like the Cayman Islands are doing are continuing to kill their business because people don't want to go even under these conditions. Uh, it it is when you're on a vacation. What one of the primary reasons why you're taking a vacation is you want to get away from your problems. You want to get away from your day to day life. 
And if you're on vacation and you have to wear this tracker and carry your cell phone with you by government mandate the whole time, you're not really getting away from the pandemic lockdown, are you? No. Well, this is the exact reason why, even though they're reopened at this point, that Disney World and uh, or the other uh, Universal in Orlando down like 80 something percent. They're not even, you know, you would think, you know, I guess they thought, I don't know that they were going to open the, the doors, are nice. you know, and yeah, there's no lines. They thought, I think they were going to open the door and have to be turning people away because there was going to be so much demand. And the reality is the demand under isn't these there. Conditions. Yeah. No. Under these, yeah. I, wearing a I, mask. I, I, Washington theoretically allowed, you know, our, our God emperor governor, D J fucking Inslee in his magnanimity. He, he decided that, in in his benevolence he was going to allow restaurants to open back up well i haven't been in one because in order to go in a restaurant you know you have to do you have to put on your goddamn face diaper to walk across the parking lot from your car and then to enter and while you're standing there waiting for a table when you sit down at the table you are required to continue wearing your face diaper until your food arrives and then if you ever stop eating, if you, you have to put it back on, although I don't know if that's being enforced, but the only time you are allowed to not have this stupid thing on your face is when you are in the active process of shoveling a fork full of food into your face. That is the only time you're allowed to not be wearing it. it, it I, I haven't been to a restaurant. <laughs> no, I haven't either. And it, you know, to me, if, the virus is active in your area. Any virus is active in your area. That will yeah, as slow they it. always are. Well, that will. This one is a little We're, more deadly, but it seems that everywhere it is, no matter whether they make people wear masks or not, the data seems pretty clear at this point that they go through whatever area it is, this virus for about six weeks and then dies off on his own. It doesn't matter what anybody does. That's so, what that's the way viruses work when you have a population with functioning immune systems. I still want to know we're working to change that. I still want to know why nobody's talking about air filtration devices. Never once on the mainstream media have I ever heard them talking about these because that I, would make restaurants 10 times safer. You know, for, again, if you want to assume that this is a virus that's active in your area and it's dangerous, then you would want devices that are filtering the air, UV lights and other various things that they do with these filters to remove that from the air, which is why we talked about on the one episode flying in an airplane way safer than going to a restaurant. Why? Because of how often the air, air filtration is yeah. right. That's exactly it. So that may be the answer because we're getting back to the fall and winter. So if we want to pretend this thing's coming back with gusto, you should be ready. And and does it does it really actually surprise you or was that just a, a rhetoric device? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, that does it really surprise you that you haven't seen anything useful come out of the mainstream media? No, but I'm surprised that somebody that just even the people that you would have expect to be coming out with this kind of stuff aren't aren't really talking about it. And I don't get it because air purifiers do work for a variety of things. I mean, even if you just have simple allergies, having a couple air purifiers around in your house do wonders. And oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I keep one running. Not not currently while I'm podcasting, but I do keep one running a lot around here. Yeah, and they work. And the ones that have, you know, you have to replace the light like once a year. But they, if you leave your little UV light on in the device 24-7, it will sanitize the air and it will kill. They've proven 
it will kill COVID and other viruses like it. So I, I don't, I don't have the UV light, but I've got the one with the metal plates that they charge with like a, a electric field or something. Oh yeah. The ozone so all, makers. All the dust, yeah. All the dust just sticks to the electric plates in about every two weeks. I, I pull the thing apart, wipe the plates off with a rag. That's like a sharper it's, image thing from like 20 years ago. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I find, I find the maintenance on not having to go out and switch out a filter, for example, is it makes it a lot more useful and more use willing to use it. Yeah. Well, the filters it probably are doesn't work as well as a filter, but yeah, well, it, the filters it, are easy enough if they're cheap because you should really replace them, you know, every three to six months, depending on your area. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had air purifiers that six months later, you know, you couldn't find the, you couldn't find the filters because, you know, they were yeah. a, a one well, shot, especially when, yeah, a new, new model every six months with a different filter. Cause you have to rebuy. Yeah. That's that planned obsolescence is, is an amazing, powerful technique in it. Yes, it is. It is. And air purifying though, is a thing that should really be being talked about when we've already admitted with the science, it seems that the indoor spread of this is the issue, not outdoor. So what's the difference between the two? Well, outdoor, the air gets circulated around. Things aren't stagnant. You could recreate that indoors. It's not that hard. It will take yeah, a little I, money and some devices. I, I, it doesn't take me any money. You know what it's called? Opening a window. Yeah, well, that works, too. It's harder to do that in Chicago when it's 40 below. But uh, I mean, you could. Like you can. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it is. It is an alternative. There's no doubt about it. Then you have to. <laughs> it might not be desirable. No, you that, might not want to. You might not want to have. Your your house be forty below, but I mean you could. I need like fourteen electric blankets all plugged into extension cords. That would go poorly. Uh, yeah, that that problem might have a shortcoming. One or two, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So yay. Uh oh, I I forgot to mention the the other thing that the travel agent uh, article pointed out that I I wouldn't have even thought of this when I was reading the requirements from Cayman Islands. Um, they said. Uh, the requirement of a negative PCR test within 72 hours of departure. Um, how, how long are uh, the testing centers taking these days to get results? Well, minimum it's, of like 24 hours, usually a lot longer. Yeah, I, I, it's actually not easy to get a PCR test and get the results. We, if, if you have to take the test within 72 hours, it's not easy to have to. You're not sure to have the results by the time that you're ready to depart. No, because my uh, mom then, who's in the hospital right now. I think it took 29 hours for them to give her the negative result after taking it when she got in before a doctor yeah. would see her. You know, you had to have a negative test because doctors can't see if you, if you have the virus. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are dying waiting on their stupid COVID tests because, you know, it's like, uh, dude, I'm I'm currently, you know, I have a blood clot in my brain. Can you possibly look at me? Well, not until with the test results come back. Oh, well, uh, OK. It's been a nice life. And you wonder just exactly, and the data will have to come out, I believe, at some point, because I don't think the medical community is as corrupt as the government. And I think this information will come out. It may just <laughs> that, take that a while. That would be difficult. Yes. Well, that's true. It would be hard to get to that bar. But I want to know if this ever will come out. How many people died because of the things done to try to prevent the virus as opposed to actually of the virus? And there's no I, question people are dying of things like heart attacks. Yeah, without yeah. just sitting at home, not wanting to go in, going, you know, I'm not feeling too good, so I'll, I'll I'll see if I feel better tomorrow, and then there is no tomorrow. Yeah, 
I, I, I mean, people, people are dying going, yeah, uh, I mean, these symptoms could be bad, but I don't really want to go in because it's such a pain in the ass. Okay. Well, I'd rather be in a hospital than a morgue. I, I'm not sure there's much of a difference everywhere anymore, but, but we can get to that later. Uh, oh, the, the other thing about the PCR test is, uh, that if you are required to have another PCR test, when you land, what happens to your vacation? If that test is fails, well, then you're under quarantine. Yeah. Then your vacation's ruined. And, uh, remember the accuracy of the PCR tests. You mean not at all? uh, Yeah, it's not. Uh, well, last I heard it was like 73% or something, which, uh, frankly, I'm not willing to bet my vacation on. So anyways, the travel agents are complaining that nobody wants to go to the Cayman Islands because this is too much uncertainty and I cannot blame them. Well, yeah, but I had. Oh, yeah. But the, uh, well, there was just a thing with the NFL that they're having a big problem because of what they are deeming a high amount of false positives in their covid tests now this just brings so many more questions on because the nfl i don't i know most people don't really care about the nfl i don't and most people don't care about most sports Not going this year, on i don't but the nfl is a microcosm of america of relatively healthy guys that you know athletes you would think and uh the problem is if you're getting a ton of false positives in this group well, then how do you trust the tests that are telling us this thing's raging other places in the United States? This is why you can't believe the positive tests at all. The only things that should be reported and things people should care about are hospitalizations and deaths, because the positive result numbers, I think, are completely made up, are just completely guesswork. Well, yeah. And uh, stories come out every day these days about some lab somewhere that that mysteriously had a 100 percent positive rate. I think this this one was in New Jersey only a couple of days ago. Uh, the the lab that mysteriously had a 100 percent positive rate or 90 percent or something like that. Uh, when people got retested, it actually was they, they retested something like 80 people f- from this who were all given a positive result from this one lab. And every single one of them was negative. That's a concern. It really is. And then and, you and, add, and this is not a unique story. This happened, you know, the, one of the first big ones was in Florida, but I've seen it in Austin. I've seen it in New York. I've seen it in Baltimore. I, there, there are I, the incentive structure is all kinds of screwed up. If you have this many labs who are incentivized to lie and tell everybody they're getting COVID positive results. I mean, we've seen the stories about people who go in, sign up for the test, stand in line, and then get called away and leave before getting the test. And the next day they get a thing in the mail said they're COVID positive. Well, yeah, well, this is why I question all of these tests that are being done at universities, Notre Dame, one of them. And I mean, maybe it's not fair to point out them because this is happening all over that all of a sudden a bunch of tests come back and they're like, oh, no, we need to shut it down. It's like, I want to know where these people that they tested, they came back positive. Were they feeling sick at all? Do they have any symptoms or are you just going on a bunch of positive uh, yes, tests? Hypochondria. Yeah. It, a, hypochondria is a powerful symptom. It's a bunch of positive tests. So we need to shut it down, even though that may not and, be the case at all. And, and, and what's infuriating is that those tests, though, you know, which are you know, the PCR, even when correctly administered, is surprisingly inaccurate. 
the incentive structure is such that uh, these labs are incentivized, presumably because they're getting money per positive case. That's at least that's what happened with the hospital. They are incentivized to lie and give a lot more false positives than in, in negatives. And these numbers, you know, and they, they, that's the thing you see in the mainstream media every time is new cases, new cases, new cases. Oh, my gosh, there's new cases. There, there were 8000 new cases in one day in Austin. Why? Because five weeks worth of backlog were entered <laughs> right. into the database in one day. Suddenly, 8,000 new cases, and that is how the media reported it. They were like, 8,000 new cases. The pandemic is real. Well, no, you're just completely missing how data works. And the biggest problem is that new cases is still the justification that governors, including Jay fucking Inslee, are using to say, I'm sorry, we can't let you have any rights back because there's still new cases somewhere in the state. Well, and this is I know something you want to go into in, in greater detail, but this is what this is doing to school overall for you know even grammar school, junior high, high school students who are now again being forced to stay at home and do the remote learning. I mean, my favorite story was the school that was trying to ban parents from listening into the lessons. Now, nothing says transparency and we're not doing anything wrong like you know, we don't want parents listening to what we're teaching their kids. I mean, well, you, you can't possibly have a parent interfering with your state indoctrination. Uh-huh. That, that is what it feels it, like. It, it's it's not hard to ascribe an, a motivation to that one. Uh, you and and the <laughs> the people doing this would not say that they are trying to perform state indoctrination. But the reasons being given are uh, we need to make sure that there is a safe space where we can talk about sensitive issues like like gender and you know social justice without the parent poisoning the kids ideas and undoing all of our our social justice and social studies classes that that is the reasons that are being given which by the way yeah that's indoctrination if you are if you are teaching a kid something that the parent would not approve of, and you know the parent would not approve of it to the point where you are trying to make sure that the parent cannot know what you're teaching them. You are trying to indoctrinate somebody else's kid. Don't, don't, it's not the state's job to indoctrinate and, and fuck up the worldview of a kid. That is entirely what the parents should be doing. Yeah. And in this one case, maybe not fucking it up, but in one case, maybe, the, the uh, solution they came up with was, well, yeah, the parents can monitor it, but they can't record it because they might pick up some personal information. Oh, oh no. <laughs> like, really? Like, how can, you know, again, I, as a dude named Ben, sorry, this, you can't stop this. You can't stop anybody from recording a Zoom call or whatever no, they're using. You, I don't know if it's, this is true in other states, but in Washington, uh, a parent has the right to go in with a camera and record a classroom in session in any public school in the state. Rightfully so. People don't, people don't usually do that, but they have the right to do that. The, the, by law, teachers cannot prevent you from doing that. You know, and the other and, thing that I saw was the, the students must have a blank, you know, black or white background behind them when they're on these calls because, you know, we can't have, you know, maybe they're, they're in their room. Individuality. Yeah, we can't have individuality. You know, little Jimmy 
Maybe he has you know the Lego Millennium Falcon, which my wife wants one of those. They're like a thousand bucks. I'm like, you're never gonna put that Yikes. together. <laughs> uh, yeah, but one, it, one of my coworkers had that in his office. It was assembled when I got there, and 15 years later, it was still in his office and had never moved. I'm surprised but you didn't, didn't have any dust on it. Surprised he, you didn't he, disassemble it. No, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but it's like I did disassemble his coat a few times. But you, uh, you can't have that. Like, oh, look, he has something really good in the background. And little Susie doesn't have one of those. Now she's jealous and she's sad that she's not as rich as little Jimmy. Well, yeah. Well, camera. Well, welcome to life. Yeah, I know. Well, you that's- know, if if, if <laughs> schools if schools bothered to try to prepare kids for life like they used to try to do, yes, then that's exactly the kind of thing you would do. Let's expose people to things they would encounter outside the house. Yeah. Let's prepare them for the reality of the world. No, we don't want to do that anymore. And it's sickening. We must hide kids from the reality of the world, because that way, when they finally encounter the world, the only way they'll know how to interact with it is looting, rioting and punching Nazis. Yes. And now there was this is what happened last night, I guess, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which, you know, this this rioting and looting is happening all over. And there's a reason for it. And if you do your homework or if you listen to No Agenda, you've been listening to us, you kind of understand the reasoning behind this when it comes to Marxism, socialism, communism, whatever ism you want to call it. But this rioting that was going on yesterday, and I've seen it before, and for some reason, it just hit me a little bit more watching the video, because in this case in Kenosha, a there's a video of a cop getting hit with a brick. And of course, these assholes that are out there, these criminals, these thugs, you know, whatever you want to call them that are applauding this, you know, oh, the cop got bricked. Yay. And you look at the amount of assholes out That's there. That's not fucking cool. No. With their cameras, though, with their camera phones recording all of this, this is yeah. a disgusting society we have. The kids today. I, I will tell you that if you can find those videos on YouTube, some of them are pretty entertaining, especially the the dude in Portland who uh, he got. He, he he was driving his truck through a, a protest zone. I don't know why he was there, but a bunch of people started approaching his truck and he started gunning it. And so one dude went and took a motorcycle and laid it down right in front of the truck and then started going over to the driver's side window like he was going to break it in or something. Dude gunned the truck and dragged the motorcycle on the ground for three blocks. Yeah, well, that was that the one that both he and the woman with them were dragged out and beaten. Oh, no, he wasn't dragged out and beaten because he did the right thing. He got the hell out of there. And well, he was lucky wants to sacrifice his motorcycle. Uh, I mean, that the, the guy puts a motorcycle down right in front of the truck thinking, OK, then he won't drive off. No, sorry. Somebody's going to try to drag me out of my car. I'm I don't even care if there's people in front of me. I'm gunning it. I, this is a dangerous situation. It is. And the fact that people are videoing this and this is like a new sport. These fucking kids, they think they're playing Pokemon, that they're going out and they want to catch something on video. And it's disgusting. It really is. But I'm not even sure how much of this rioting and looting would be going on. Well, maybe the looting, but the rioting and the violence is all being egged on by all of the assholes there with their cell phones that are recording it. It's like a paparazzi mob. There's like hundreds of people out there doing this. As long as they're wearing bio buttons so that, you know, you're not spreading COVID. Well, yeah, this is where, you know, these people should be held accountable for this. And I understand. I mean, you, you want to go back. We can joke a little bit about the final Seinfeld episode where they were thrown in jail for standing around watching a crime. I'm kind of getting behind that concept now. 
that spoiler alert. <laughs> what? Okay. Who hasn't seen the whole Seinfeld yet? It's only been over for what? 20 years. It seems I haven't. you haven't. Oh, come on. It's on one of these streams. Well, well, you don't I, even have I, to I stream it. I, I think I may have watched a grand total of three episodes of Seinfeld. It's a decent show. I mean, it's a mindless show, yeah, but the, it's the guy was funny. I just have a real problem with sitcoms and laugh tracks. That's okay. We'll strip out that laugh track and send it over to Ryan and he can watch the show. But that's so if we have any laugh track strippers out there in the audience, that's a great name for a stripper, um, <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm kind of getting behind that. It's like normally I'd be like, OK, well, you're just out there. You shouldn't be forced to put yourself into a dangerous situation. But the people that are encouraging it, you know, that's a different story. And I do believe that a lot of this stuff, you see what kids post on social media. There's a lot of things that are happening today that I don't think were back in our day because we didn't have social media. We weren't doing stupid stuff, crazy stuff, vile stuff because we could capture it on video or photographs and post it to the Internet. It just didn't exist. I I certainly think that there's some of that going on. But at the same time, uh, humans being shitty to each other is not a new thing. We just weren't recording it at the time. No. Well, I just, uh, yeah. And it's, in, well, it's increasing, I think, because of it. Cause I do think there are and, certain people that are, they take the fact I, that you look, you look to your left and you see a bunch of people with a camera. So when you have a chance to, you know, hit the cop in the head with a brick, something you normally wouldn't have done, you're like, hey, wait, I'll, people are taping this. This, I'll do this. I have no doubt that there are instances of doing that, but I would be highly skeptical that most people are doing it i think most of the people who are throwing bricks at things are doing it because they are angry and over socialized and uninformed and would be doing that whether someone is filming or not now it it might affect their their worldview that just to be in a position where you can always assume that somebody is filming because somebody always is but i'm not sure that that I don't think that that enters the decision-making process. I, first of all, I don't think there's a rational decision-making process going on when somebody decides to throw a brick at a cop. That you if, if there was, they'd be thinking about things like, well, what might somebody do if they caught me? But well, I don't think that happens. Or if there's another cop that sees you about to hit him in the head with the brick, may shoot your ass. Yeah, I, that happens too. But I don't think that the rational decision-making process is engaging at all. So I honestly, you know, there might be a couple people out there who are exist for the purpose of grandstanding and think that they want to be celebrities or something. And they might take the care. You know, there's there's always the kind of people who who become, you know, complete camera whores and decide that that putting a camera in front of you is is how they want to identify it. And normally we try to quarantine those people in Hollywood, but obviously some of it has leaked out. Well, yeah, some goes to uh, Washington, D.C. If you saw the stuff from Kellyanne Conway's daughter, and this was really, to me, it's a non-story except one of really crappy parents. That's where it comes down to. Yeah. And well, it, it uh, maybe not even crappy parents, maybe just parents who weren't always there and let the, the leftist school system become the proxy for giving your parents the, the ideas and, and worldview that they should have, or, you know, the, the worldview of a kid should always come from the parents first, and then knowledge can come and, and critical thinking can come from a school. Not that a lot of that is out there anymore. No, well, it's not because it's all like this Netflix movie that's causing such a big hubbub to the cuties or something. Oh, it's a French about movie. about a non-story. 
Yeah, well, that isn't well. The interesting thing about that is, from what I can understand, this is a French movie that was made to shed light on the fact that young girls are being exploited. I don't think it was made to exploit young girls. I mean, that may be a side effect of this, but I think what was trying to be pointed out was the stuff like Kellyanne Conway's daughter's been doing since she's been 13 years old. If you look at her social media, she's been posting stuff since age 13 (laughs) that is disturbing on any level because it already looks like she should be on the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue at 13. If if her pictures were on that at 13, you wouldn't know she was 13. There's no question about it. At 15 now, she wants to be emancipated from her parents. And because she knows better, I mean, because she grew up in such a great environment that she can be fending for herself, she believes, because she's just so, so distraught that her okay, mom's going to be speaking at the RNC. That's what's doing. There's this now. 30 year old kids who can't fend for themselves. What makes a 15 year old think? I don't know. I don't know. But the fact is, and I mean, all of the uh, I mean, I'm sure all the pervs are out there checking out her Instagram. But she's wearing bathing suits at 15 that my mom would have killed my sister if she wore them at 25. (laughs) You know, would she would your mom have been okay if you'd worn them? Maybe. I mean, I'd look great at them. There's no question about it. But this is just to me, bad parenting. And I mean, it's disgusting that the people that are on the left are just encouraging this girl to go further into her delusions and to you know just destroy her family because they hate Trump. And it's just disgusting on every level that this kind of stuff happens and it's just still more disturbing to me that we've talked about this multiple times that parents have no clue what their kids are doing on social media on the internet on all of these devices and apps from correction bad parents have no idea what their kids are doing you're right i'm generalizing paying attention you're right i am generalizing and i apologize for all of the good parents out there and i will say if you're not if your kids have a phone you're providing it to them i'm still going with the case of Anybody under like 16 probably shouldn't even be on any of these things, but well, you could decide except if your kids are at Oakland University in Michigan. What's going on there? I didn't hear this. Uh, I'm 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 so glad you offered me this segue to get into the end of this story. (laughs) And then I ruin it by pointing it out to segue. But that's what we do on this show. Um, (laughs) Oakland University in uh, part of their what to expect for fall semester. On the web page, about halfway down the page, uh, and you only knew about this if you happened to read the email that they sent out saying, you know, you should probably read the what to expect page. Uh, it pointed out that all students would be required to wear a bio button and oh. document their symptoms in a symptom checking app. Uh, and uh, the the only thing that that made me note it is there was one tiny part that said also if you don't have a smartphone to use with your bio button, we can provide you one. Right. You must. You yes, must comply. Because you have to carry. You have to. So you have to wear a bio button. You have to carry it with. Now, uh, this uh, uh, there was a student named Tyler Dixon who read that and launched a petition. Uh, his petition, he said he wanted 200. The, the entire university is is only something like uh, 15,000 people. Um, but he wanted 200 people to sign this and he was going to go to the administration, and say, we want the the bio button to be optional and ended up 2,500 signatures later. And this is before classes have started. So getting 2,500 people in a 15,000 university, that's pretty impressive. Classes have started. It's kind of impressive. I got to give it to him. Um, 
And uh, but he probably the contacted university- them all through social media. Yeah, I'm certain he did. I'm sure he just posted on Facebook or something. Uh, but, oh, wait, uh, college kids Kate. using Facebook. What world are you living oh, in, I'm Grandpa? I, I, sorry, I, I, the boomer. It, it was all, moment. I apologize. It was all through TikTok and the Chinese yes, government was facilitating. Something. Yes, actually. You know, the Chinese government might, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, the university caved. Uh, and, uh, you know, the funny thing about Tyler Dixon is that uh, the reason he started the petition is because he was going to BLM rallies and did not trust that this device wasn't going to track his location at these rallies and cause him to get, yeah, you know what? I don't necessarily approve of that activity. I kind of, it, it kind of makes me think one way about Tyler Dixon, but at the same time, you know, it, he got to the right place. Uh, his, his exact quote was, Hey, I'm not some kind of anti-masker. But this technology seems invasive. So what we have here is a youngster that thinks he's against tracking, but wants to hail yeah. in the Marxist revolution. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he thinks that the establishment is bad and, and needs to be torn down. Um, I don't know, because they're tracking. I, I, I'm not I. I don't really want to try to psychoanalyze this kid, but I like, I like revolution. He's, he's definitely on the right track in terms of when an authoritarian system comes and tries to push requirements on you that you don't like, then he started something and got it repealed. And I really approve of that. Um, the, uh, so the Oakland university decided that, uh, they, you don't have to wear the bio button. And in fact, if you, if you choose not to wear the button, then uh, you you have to. Uh, I can't find the note. Do not anyway, go there, to there is a well, there is a daily health screening portal that you can a- ask. It takes. He said it only takes twenty minutes to go through the daily health screening. Oh my! Twenty <laughs> minutes a day. Yeah, <laughs> and he says, uh, and you know, we we are serious about keeping COVID off of our campus. If students cannot show their cleared status, they cannot come to class. So. It didn't that back sounds, off that far, but you I was don't gonna have say to that wear sounds this. a little off there. Authoritarianism right there. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Um, in the same article that talked about the Oakland University thing was the only interview that I found with BioIntelligence CEO James Malt, who made the bio button. Uh, he says uh, the device remits health data back to the user and no one else has access, not a school, not an employer. When the platform determines that the person should not come into school or work, the system alerts an administrator. They are only told that the person cannot come in, but they are not told why. Of course, whoever the administrator is can make a reasonable assumption the person marked as ill likely has COVID-19, since COVID-19 is the only thing that this thing detects. says, even so, only the wearer gets access to symptom level data. So, hey, these things are totally clear, right? Yeah. Congratulations, university. Um, I, it's, well, yeah, I, I, they, I mean, they didn't end up requiring it and I approve of that at, you know, the universities are all crap holes. And I mean, these people backed off exactly as far as most public schools are, which is still unreasonable in invasions of privacy and, and personal agency in order to try to combat a virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. Yeah, and rising, it seems, but let's ignore that. Uh, Universities don't make the best choices. That was one of the stories I had was on the University of Utah, who was hit with ransomware. So it's like, one, maybe get your IT budget up a little bit. 
but they paid the ransom, which I. Oh, oh, worst thing you can do. You know, that was that's my thought. That was originally the knee jerk reaction. And I still will go by that. Okay. Okay. The the reason that that's my reaction is not from the perspective of I lost data when these computers were compromised. I understand that that seems really important. It's not as important to me. The reason why it's a bad thing for me is as a member of society, I don't want to live in a society where ransomware authors are emboldened to create more because there's financial incentives. Therefore, as a person who has not lost any data on these locked up computers, it is nothing but bad for me that these people are emboldening and providing financial incentive for ransomware authors. Well, and you're a coder. We have a lot of people listening to us that work in the security and coding you yeah. know, industry. Ransomware can be very lucrative these days. It is. And do you, do you, did you see this article? Do you know what the University of Utah paid? If not, do you want to guess? I'm going to say it was approximately three bitcoins. Three bitcoins and bitcoins worth about what? Ten thousand? Uh, no. Four hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars. Holy fuck sticks. Yeah. I mean, we're in the wrong business. All we have to do is compromise one university. That's four hundred. And 57 I, why grand. am I doing? Why am I podcasting? Why am I not writing ransomware? What the hell? <laughs> Do you have to go? You have to go write that script right now. I, I can, ju- can, I can finish off the show here as you write the grumpy old Ben's ransomware to put us into the next level of podcasting ex- excellence. <laughs> what what is going on with it? I mean, see, okay. First of all, you, you, they, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with the IT department at this university? Backups. What the hell? Holy crap. Back up your systems. Well, see, now it's all the stuff you can't lose. See, it's beyond backups. I think they had backups, but they were afraid the information would be leaked, which then adds questions onto my list of. okay. then what are you hiding? (laughs) What do they get? And uh, I. uh, okay. what 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 school was this again? It's the University of Utah. It's being called a data security incident that they had. the, the reason I asked is because uh, uh, even on this very episode, but often on this show, we argue that even if there's not any kind of legal concerns involved, that people should be safe in the privacy of their own data. And I just want to make the distinction that the individual safety of data does not apply to publicly owned institutions like public universities, like governments. Governments should not be safe and secure in their own data. It's our data. We own it. We're paying for it. Let us see it. Same with the university. What are they securing that they can't possibly let go? The only thing that I would accept is, is if they are collecting personal private data of all of their students that can't be leaked because then they'd be protecting their students, in which case stop fucking collecting that. The university said on Sunday, July 19th, 2020, the university's College of Social and Behavioral Sciences was notified by the university's information security officer of a ransomware attack on the CSBS computing servers. Content on the compromised servers was encrypted by an unknown entity and no longer accessible. So it encrypted the servers that were in their social and behavioral sciences department. They also encrypted okay. data. I, be- I guarantee nothing in that department is worth $400,000. You certainly wouldn't think so. Now, it said that uh, 
Ransomware operators have started stealing unencrypted files before applying the ransomware, which makes sense. So it tells you they grab all the files and then they encrypt them and leave them there. The gang threatens the victim by saying they'll publicly leak the files if it's not paid. Uh, The stolen data contains student and employee information, and the university decided to pay the ransom to prevent it from being leaked. Now, here's my first question. You're dealing with criminals who are holding you up for a half a million (laughs) bucks. What's going to make them not release this data after you pay them? Well, the university obviously is hoping that the money will make them not release the data. But yeah. See, you you want blackmail because this is how you get blackmail. It's is you somebody gets some date dirt on you that you don't want out. You pay them, and then they go, "Ooh, revenue stream!" And then suddenly you find yourself paying them four hundred thousand dollars every other month, right? Because they might release it, right? The, why? Why one payment? Not, this hasn't worked in the history of people screwing over people. Quote, after careful consideration, the university decided to work with its cyber insurance provider to pay a fee to the ransomware attacker. This was done as a proactive and preventative step to ensure information was not released on the Internet. Bullcrap. But, Uh, you know, paying off criminals is exactly the same kind of short sighted thinking that leads to people thinking, for example, that that equality of opportunity is a good thing. But I want to break your brain and I want to ask you a question. And because I want you to do that. Well, yeah, but I'm going to do it anyway. The university states that their cyber insurance policy paid the ransom and that, quote, no tuition, grant, donation, state or taxpayer funds were used to pay the ransom. I call. Then, then where the fuck did it come from? Right. I mean, who's paying their insurance policy? I mean, that's coming from those people. I mean, and I don't know what you pay, yeah, which is going to go up because the, these give I mean, the insurance company is going to be looking at this going like, OK, so. We're apparently insuring a couple morons who think it's a good idea to give money to criminals who've stolen their data. Um, we need to crack, crank up their rates because, you know, they're going to do this again. Yeah. One, I didn't know this was a thing that there are cyber insurance policies, things like you know, places like universities can get that would pay off a half a million bucks. How much are you paying into that insurance policy? And that seems like another. Me, good I hope none. Yeah. Probably my some of my tax monies are going to it, though. It's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. And I don't know what kind of personal data could have been in there about your students or your employees that made it worth over you know, close to a half a million bucks to maybe keep it from being released. I, I just don't get it. I just, just have, have, have they not learned anything from every story of blackmail in the history of humanity? Where you just because you pay somebody off doesn't mean that there won't be another demand for a payment later is how does that? Yeah. And the article just right off the data be like, yeah, it's out there. You you probably ought to get some kind of identity guard. Yeah. And the article from bleeping computer notes in June 2020, UC San Francisco paid a one point one four million dollar ransom. So, geez, I'm just saying like if. I, buying identity guard for every single one of your students has got to be cheaper than that. That's a lot Just of cash. Don't, don't don't feed these people. For one thing, you're incentivizing it, and for another, yeah, they're they're yeah, your shit's gonna get out anyway. Congratulations, poor IT security got you into this mess. Own it and don't make the same mistake again. Don't put put a new mistake on top of the old one. No, no, uh, that, that doesn't make any sense. So one week ago on this show, 
we had a story that it, I, I wouldn't say we broke the story because frankly, we don't do that here. Um, but we talked about Epic versus Apple. So in the last week, uh, since we talked about this story and we, we knew we were talking about it a little early and it was going to keep going. This, this definitely a story with legs. Uh, the following has happened. Uh, let's see. Uh, Epic came up with, uh, and you remember I was talking about video games often have, uh, online events where they'll, they'll change up the game. Well, Epic has an event called hashtag free Fortnite, <laughs> and it includes among other things, uh, a hat that mocks Apple. And I'm going to bring that picture of the hat into the show notes because it's amazing and you need to see this. Um, but it's a, it's an online game event, uh, in, in the game world. It also, uh, tentatively is the last one that's going to be available to Apple users at all because, uh, Epic will be releasing. Remember when I said that you, you asked, well, do, do they get cut off immediately? I said, no, they don't get cut off until, until the next update comes in that makes that, that Apple users don't get and becomes incompatible with the servers. Well, that update is scheduled for August 27th, which is, I think, Thursday. And I said, um, if they so, were, if they were really looking to stick it to Apple, that's exactly what they would do. Yep. Uh, let's see. Um, the, uh, after the 15% brouhaha started, uh, a, a trade group, a news publisher trade group called digital content next has now gone out on record saying that they also want the 15% instead of 30%. <laughs> uh, these, this is a trade group that represents New York times, WAPU, Viacom CBS. So these people will have a little bit of clout behind them. And now they're pushing Apple saying, Hey, we found out that you're giving 15% to these other companies. Give it to us too. Well, yeah, everybody uh, wants and, the discount. And, and they're the, again, you know, the, the place where Apple has constantly been under fire for their 30% policy is subscription content, which back in the day, there wasn't a lot of it out there, but now the, there's getting to be a lot and subscription content doesn't make sense under the Apple model in so much as you get somebody paying you, you know, you get somebody paying you monthly for your service. And even though Apple has done precisely zero effort marginally per month, they're still getting 30% of your subscription fees per month. There's a lot of people bristle at that prospect. Well, yeah, it's the VIG Uh, to get it on their device, which, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't get anything, but there is a limitation. I think where every install of a game maybe hits a maximum amount that a company has to pay for when you know yeah. people want to keep throwing money in the game. I don't know why necessarily Apple should get that cash when you can share this over multiple platforms and you can buy this stuff in the game on another platform and it'll show up on Apple. It's a weird thing. Yeah. And and I, I don't know what the specifics of the Apple business model are going to be. That's the kind of it, it, I mean, at this point, Apple has the best possible result, which is they take 30% of everything that happens anywhere on their platform. And if that gets broken down, then then we're going to see a lot of, of fighting and ink spilled back and forth about what should the new model be. Right now, I think what Apple wants is to just keep what they've got. And I don't know if they've got much of a chance to do that. Um, but the other thing that happened was Apple terminated Epic's developer key. Now this, this has waves, uh, not because of Fortnite, not because of the specific games that Epic puts out, which if they're yanked off of the platform is a problem for Epic, but because Epic is the dev publisher of the unreal engine. 
which is used for probably a good 30, 40% of the AAA games out there. <laughs> uh, the, um, the Epic and they're, they're really, I mean, all of the biggest games out there in the last five, eight years. Uh, it, well, mo- <laughs> well, this means a, Epic a has a huge are, footprint. Oh, they have. Uh, a lot of games are done on person, on individual proprietary engines, but the biggest game engines out there in the last decade have been Unreal and Unity. And Epic does the Unreal engine, and uh, Unity is is done by the Unity Group or whatever. There's some smaller engines out there like CryEngine or Gamebryo, but um, not uh, not a lot. So if if you're not interested in developing your own engine and you're building a really big AAA title, you are probably going to be looking at the unreal engine and uh you know un, un, the the big difference between unreal has uh marginally better graphics which is important for a lot of triple a titles um unreal has uh some some other features i i'm, I'm not going to go into the the breakdown uh because that's not interesting to people who aren't game devs but uh one of the big things is unreal costs money um five percent of your revenue if you end up using the engine um which is is kind of like what Apple's doing, except it's only 5%. Uh, oh, the other thing, by the way, we talked about the Epic Game Store. Um, Epic does not charge you the 5% Unreal ter- Engine fee if you release in the Epic Game Store, which might be one of the reasons why the store got big fast. Well, yeah, um, I can see why people would definitely list. That. I mean, everybody wants a better deal. There's no question about it. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, 5% ver- uh, what uh, Epic Game Store charges 12% and you get. Uh, no, no charge on the engine versus thirty five percent for store and engine with Apple. I think it, it it makes sense, or or with Steam or whatever. It, it makes sense from a developer or a publisher perspective to be like, yeah, we're gonna save our money on the middleman. And Epic is one of those middlemen. They're not they're not blameless in this, but they're charging less. Well, now, so did when this, Apple terminated Epic's development key, did I'm this sorry, start what? with the App Store with Apple, where we changed from a world? where some people made hardware, some people made software, including operating systems. When did this really start where somebody that would create something like a game would be have to pay a VIG to be running on a particular operating system? Because this is even further than some people will go back to, you know, Xbox, you can only play on Xbox, PlayStation, you can only play on PlayStation. But this is something well, a little bit different. It's always up to the developer to decide if they want to be exclusive to a platform. Uh, I, I mean, you could argue that in, in the games industry, there are, there are two major types of entities. There are game developers and there are game publishers and the developers include designers and programmers and actually write the code. And the publisher is the people who include the marketers and bean counters who handle the getting your game sold. And when you, you know, when you sign up with a game publisher, even back in the day when games were distributed on CD ROMs or floppy disks. If you signed up with, uh, you know, Activision or someone, you had to pay a vig to them. So uh, the the idea of of putting middlemen in between the people who create a a product and the people who consume the product is is as old as capitalism. I suppose, but um, it seems like it was the App Store. Was it uh, NetNed saying maybe it was NES? I mean, who created this idea that if you wanted something on our platform, we had to take a percentage of everything that you were making on that software? I don't really know. Uh, Apple were, were probably some of the most brazen ones to do it early, uh, game consoles, like you pointed out, have, 
have been doing that sort of thing forever. There is, there is absolutely a, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a percentage of revenue, but there's absolutely going to be some kind of a licensing fee involved uh, or, right. or even just an SDK fee. To well, it's the licensing the or you're locked out that you can't because you could create a game for the PlayStation three without Sony's OK. Right. I mean, or is there something in there? Well, that, you, you can't download the SDK for the PlayStation three without Sony's OK. So that's where they um, get the VIG. I don't know about well I I honestly uh okay I don't know about Sony. I do actually know how it worked on the Xbox 360 because I was I was close enough to that one. Uh the Xbox 1 I would not be surprised if it's similar is that before I mean after it near the end of the life on that platform they had some things like XNA that allowed public development of games but before that it was something like $10,000 that you your company had to pay just to get the SDK, just Damn. To get the, the kit that allowed you to call into the APIs. How dare once you, you want to write that, software? Once you had that, you, you also had to, well, part of the SDK included the ability to unlock your Xbox for development, which is something that Microsoft definitely never wanted to allow <laughs> to the general public. Uh, if you've ever heard the term JTAG, then you know that people have hacked Xboxes to be able to cheat at games. But the, the point to the platform I mean, the, one of the big selling points to developers is people can't cheat at games because this is a lockdown platform. And eh, I mean, it, it, it worked with some success. It's certainly better than a PC where you pretty much have to assume people are going to be cracking open your save files in a hex editor and, right. and doing whatever they can. I personally don't think that cheating at games is nearly as big a deal. I think if, if you're doing competitive multiplayer, then cheating is really douchey and is a problem but at the same time that's one of the reasons i don't do competitive multiplayer and if you're doing cooperative multiplayer or you're doing uh single player games then uh who gives a crap if you cheat or not right I don't know, you're cheating yourself yeah I, I you know what i write mods for borderlands and then i play those mods with my friends because it makes the game more interesting yeah we've all heard about the chicken bazooka <laughs> yes that's that's one of the examples um so uh terminating epic's dev key will effectively stop all development of the unreal engine for the macintosh and that means that anybody who is creating unreal based games on or not macintosh uh on uh, ios is not going to be receiving any updates and is probably not going to be able to finish their game because uh, if if you're a especially the really big AAA studios, um, the one of the benefits that the Unreal Engine gives you is you get full source code to the engine, and you need to in order to be able to uh, modify the source for your specific game. If you need to do that, which a, a lot of the really big games will usually end up tweaking the source code just to optimize it for their game. But if the Unreal Engine is locked out of the dev license, uh, that becomes a whole lot more difficult to do. And Epic will not be able to re- release any bug fixes or engine changes. So for that reason, um, the other thing that happened only a couple days ago was that Microsoft came in to the fray and weighed in on the side of Epic. And well, uh, of course their, they did. Their, their release came down to what I, what I wrote in my notes. Please don't take our engine. um but uh um and uh epic filed an injunction uh they they actually filed a a, in the court case uh for an injunction to prevent apple from removing the dev key and from removing Fortnite. 
saying that there was evidence of a significant harm to the Unreal Engine if Epic cannot re- release any updates for it. Uh, Apple says they see no evidence of significant harm. Uh, that particular hearing is actually being held, I think, right now, uh, today, Monday, 20, August 24th. Um, I want to uh, know what is the status wanna... of everybody that's paid for this game on iOS? Do they get their money back? <laughs> See, this is where the revolution starts, right? This, this is what Epic was hoping for, right? I mean, to be clear, the people will be kept slightly mollified by the fact that the game is not being removed from their device. It just won't get any more updates. However, uh, in the case of Fortnite, um, as of 27th, when the update comes around for everyone who's not on iOS, they won't be able to connect to the servers anymore. Which kind of makes the game useless, which kind of means Epic has just created an army of angry consumers who's going to be targeting Apple because all they're seeing is I can't play my game. And and as I mentioned uh, last Monday, this battle is being fought in two places. One place, the obvious one is in the courts. But the other place that the battle is being fought is in the land of public relations, in the land of PR and Epic's PR move. It it is it is a bold gambit to piss off everybody who plays Fortnite on iOS. And Epic's strategy is we need to shape public opinion to make them believe that this is Apple's fault and not Epic's fault. Right. And we'll see if that works or not. Uh, Apple is obviously going to be doing the opposite saying, well, uh, you know, we've been consistent and solid the entire time and it's Epic doing this, which by the way, it is because Tim Sweeney started this because they wanted to tear down what they saw as, as an unconscionable business model from Apple. And Apple is sitting here going, it's always been this way, which in my opinion, doesn't make it not a problem. It just means that there's a lot of inertia there Uh, in the filing. uh, Apple's lawyers, here's, here's another quote I pulled said in the wake of its own voluntary actions, Epic now seeks emergency relief, but the emergency is entirely of Epic's own making. Uh, That is Apple's filing against the temporary restraining order at the hearing today. And I think they're right. Epic made the emergency and we'll see how well they can spin this. I think that's the, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to, to shake out in the courts, but I assure you this will be litigated in public opinion long before the courts. And it, it will be interesting to see what this battle of PR agencies looks like. Well, yeah, there's no doubt. This is what Epic was looking to do. Cause Apple, the people that are on those devices usually are more in the fanboy category who love Apple, who would never think of changing and don't want to have to deal with stuff like this. Because as we talked about earlier, when it came to Apple, the concept, at least for their fans, is it just works. I just turn it on. It works. I don't have to worry about anything. And when your game stops working, they don't really care what it's for. They're just mad that it isn't working anymore. But this is opening up the floodgates because you had another story and I did as well. uh, WordPress and Apple having some words, which for the first time ever, Apple backed off quick and apologized. What was the deal with that? I it was your story. I don't remember. You don't remember. I thought you had it as well because this was no, I, a, uh, no, I just, I read it. I didn't take notes. I thought you had it again to do with an app, which this sounded very much like, you know, maybe Apple being gun shy with this whole Epic thing that there was a WordPress app update. Although everybody's saying that the new versions of the WordPress app for Apple 
had no way to get in-app purchases, but all of a sudden Apple flagged it as if there were and they had or they had to add them because they had them somewhere else and it wasn't in the app. So they were violating and they took the WordPress app down briefly. And then before many people could even notice it, not only did Apple reinstate the app, but they apologized, which for Apple is like, uh, you know, giving a mea culpa in public when they're wrong is a huge deal, which was what surprised everybody. And I'm not really sure how this interacts with what's going on with Epic, but I guarantee you there is some kind of connection. And this may kind of show that Apple is scrambling all of a sudden to make sure legally all of their, you know, T's are crossed, I's are dotted and everything because well, they're, they're, they're they're worried about this. There is no doubt that Apple is, you know, they're. Apple has fought off many, many, many attacks against their app store policy and their 30% thing. And uh, there are a lot of people out there outs that are not Apple who think that the app store policies are unreasonable. And Apple has successfully defended their policies for years and years. But this is probably one of the biggest attacks they've had against those policies. And I would not doubt in at all that that you you nailed it. This is this is Apple trying to make sure their ducks are in a row before they're expected to stand up. And and this is just a side story of, hey, let's just make sure that we're not, you know, that, that we're not creating more evidence that will be used by Epic. Uh, I think you're probably right, because the only thing really notable about this program or about this story is that it's Apple It is that Apple never admits mistakes, which is has always been hilarious because any time that you decide to set in stone a, a zero tolerance policy of some kind, like uh, it will always be 30 percent and you will not be allowed to do things outside of the platform on you know, like like, you know, sell things cheaper. Right. Any time that you have a zero tolerance tolerance policy like this, you are going to get individual cases where either the the policy didn't imagine and therefore it needs to be an exception which apple never makes exceptions or where your in you know iron fist enforcement efforts will eventually get something wrong and then you move to correct it and and like i said the only thing really notable about this is that apple that it's apple doing it because they don't admit mistakes they don't ever correct issues if if apple if some contractor at Apple goes in and bans the wrong app, then Apple will wait. wait I, there was a story 2014 where I think that that some contractor admitted to saying, yeah, we banned the app, but we were completely in the wrong. And Apple said, no, I'm sorry, but uh, the ban stands and you're going to need to release a new version of the app with the fix for whatever the issue was. And the developer, I wish I could remember the story. The developer famously said, okay, submitted the exact same app. The like, like they added one byte to the end of the file. So it would change the checksum and submitted the same app and it went through. And Apple was cool with that because the, the developer was forced to jump through the right hoops as well. You know, you, you, they submitted an app and now all the problems are fixed. So we're all good. It, right. Apple never admits any kind of fault. They added a comment line that says Apple sucks. Oh, well, no, it's great. Now we can accept that. That's a different different product, totally different. We can bring that in. But yeah, I believe that there was something that they thought 
this WordPress app was getting away with, or there was something with the WordPress app that they thought Epic could point to when Apple goes, we don't let anybody do X, Y, and Z. And they'd go WordPress app, because that's when your legal arguments start to fail. Then where it's like you show that the company isn't being consistent. So then the need for that consistency goes right out the window because it's like, well, if you're not consistent, then you can make exceptions. And this is, I mean, I get it. I get why there is the VIG. I get that. Oh, you want to create products for our particular hardware in our operating system. I get why they want the money. I just think there's, uh, you know, limitations to what both the people that buy apps and the people that create apps are going to do. And and what of Apple's most often used and, and quite possibly strongest arguments in favor of the VIG is their argument that it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody pays 30 percent no matter what. And any exception to that policy will weaken that argument, which is probably why the the leaked documents that, hey, by the way, Amazon and Baidu uh, are paying less than that are so damaging because it, they, they apparently do make exceptions. But that has always been their argument is these are the rules we set. And for better or worse, we're following them to the letter. And more than most other companies, they have been extremely consistent at at enforcing that. And it's a lot easier to strong arm these small companies. You know, if you have Sir Bemrose, you come out with an app and you want it on millions of Apple devices and they go, well, you have to pay us 30 percent of whatever you make. You go, well, OK, I have to. That's the only way I can sell on this service. It's it's going to take a company like Epic that can actually say no, that while the money's nice, they don't need the money to be a viable competitor or a viable company to go up against Apple in court. And Apple already. The interesting thing was, was trying to badmouth Epic, saying they were trying to do it for themselves, even though the letter specifically stated they were fighting for Apple to lower this ratio and to take these things away for all companies, not just them. It wasn't that they were looking for a sweetheart deal for themselves. No, it, it, Tim Sweeney is, is an idealist and a, a digital scrapper. He is, he is doing this because he sees what he perceives to be an injustice and has reached a point in his company where he's in a position to fight it and by God, fight it. He will. And it'll be fun to watch. There's no question about I, it. I, yeah. And and I got to admit, Tim Sweeney is one of the reasons why this is going to continue to be an entertaining story. Yes. Well, it's because technology must move forward. This concept of who can sell software or who cannot sell software for certain operating systems is going forward, either going to get better or it's going to get worse. It's all going to be either completely, entirely locked down, maybe even worse than it is now. Or maybe if we're lucky, it gets better to the point to where people can start releasing open soft, uh, you know, open source software online for things like Apple devices, where it's like, hey, you want to install this thing I came up with and want to give away for free? You can do that. But I guess I'm not holding my breath on that. Did you mute your microphone there? Yeah, probably. Uh, Don't hold your breath. Just just get some popcorn. I need some popcorn. uh, And uh, the last story I really have here is the. FCC hanging on to what they consider broadband. And for 2021, that do, is, do they, do they still think 25 megabits is broadband? Yes. 25 down three up is still considered oh my, broadband. Yeah. And uh, I just want to point out that if you want to stream 4k video from Netflix, 
that will or, take or, or every just bit of that. Do a podcast. <laughs> Pretty close, yeah. <laughs> if if you want to connect to Clean Feed and not have your podcast constantly skipping out, you need more than three up. Do we really see? I don't even know what this is taking here. This won't break anything, right? When I uh, let's see here, I, you, you know it will. <laughs> this is always this is always a bad thing to ask. As I uh, pull up the task manager while doing a show live, and uh, anytime you do a control alt delete live during a show, you have to question what's going on. The uh, uh, oh that, no, no, don't yeah, control alt delete. You trying to bring up task manager? Yeah, I did. Okay, here's here's a pro tip for everybody out there. You still using Windows? If you want task manager. On the left side of the keyboard, just three fingers, control, shift, escape, control, shift, escape. That's that's convenient. I'll try that next time. Um, but really nothing going on here in clean feed. I am receiving at about 120 kilobits per second right now, 120, 128. And I'm sending 360 when I'm talking. So really very low, very low. Yeah, but a, a genuine Sir Bimrose rant when when I start really get going, I mean, I can push two, three megabits per second. For up if I really get my rant on, you need to really push you know that bandwidth. True. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know it's true. We need heavy bandwidth so, in order to so carry. What, those. what is the what is the FCC doing this time? Uh, nothing. The, the only story was that in their deployment report to consider what is broadband that they were still using that as their their marker when you know people are questioning whether twenty five and three really should qualify as broadband, and I'm kind of on the fence with that because it really depends for a single person doing normal things you know that you're not trying to for instance live stream video that's perfectly fine to do any of the hulu netflix downloading programs and all that i mean faster is always better but you can do pretty much anything you want at 25.3. Of course, I have like 40 or 50 up and I use every bit of that at times. So it depends I, on what I think I have. I have 35 symmetric and I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. For most things, that's perfectly fine. That's all you need. You don't need gigabit to be considered as broadband. That's going a little bit crazy. Now, if you have I, I want gigabit, is that OK? Yes. If you want gigabit, that's fine. If you have a family that has three or four kids and parents and everybody's streaming stuff, obviously, 25 is not going to work for you. But again, it's depending on what your needs are. And I don't know how you set. Is there any logical way that you can think of to set what should be considered minimum? For broadband to be considered broadband. Is there a is there a mark you think should be higher or lower than this? Um well I'm I'm gonna depart this and say that uh the term broadband is actually not that useful. No. Uh it is a marketing and statisticians term. Uh there are two places where you use that. One is in the marketing material for your ISP, where you can say, Hey, we've got broadband, and you know that this is only the level of service you have to provide. Uh, and the other place where you use that is when you end up coming out with FCC reports that say X percentage of the country has broadband. And in both cases, you're you're looking at aggregate stuff and you're probably not even, you know, when, uh, for example, w- when you say you've got a connection that's 25 down and three up, if you go to a speed test at any given time, you're almost certainly not getting that you're you're getting something else. Those are. I mean, usually the 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 fudge factor is they say those are peak speeds, which really means nothing because you're never going to hit peak. You know, you you might hit peak on a 
really quick burst for a good fraction of a second. And then your sustained rate is, is different or lower. So the, the, the speeds and the marketing numbers don't mean a hell of a lot. What does mean a hell of a lot is do you have enough bandwidth for the application for which you're running, which for a lot of people is Netflix, Hulu, Amazon prime, Fortnite, uh, it, Fortnite. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Xbox live, uh, clean feed, um, ice cast there, there are, you know, what, what do you use your bandwidth for? Do you have enough? And that is the, the thing that I find to be important. Now it's difficult to talk about because the numbers are so all over the place. And also because, uh, things like actual speeds as opposed to peak speeds are such a closely guarded secret amongst ISPs. But saying something is broadband, if if you adjust the definition of broadband, then, you know, oh, I might suddenly get broadband or I might suddenly lose broadband. But in both cases, if my speed didn't change, then whether or not I can watch the latest episode of whatever that new pedo show is on Netflix, uh, it doesn't change. Right. You're still getting the same exact thing. It's just the way it's being labeled. And that's the case here with the FCC just making and, the determination of what should qualify as broadband. And, and, and you know, maybe instead of redefining, you know, because I think this would be a bigger story if the FCC did decide to change the determination of what was broadband, because what you would see is a whole lot of people whether whether you're of the opinion that ISPs are the most evil things in the world or you're of the opinion that ISPs are great and providing us a valuable service and Silicon Valley is the most evil thing in the world or maybe you're a podcaster who's of the opinion that all the companies are evil and they just try to use use the customers as pawns in a game that they fight against each other for who has the most money either way if if the definition changed, you would see massive PR machines spinning up to point out either how, you know, this company or this company doesn't provide broadband to their percentage right. of people or or this percentage of the country doesn't have broadband anymore or does have broad, you know, and all of it is completely bogus. The question is, are you getting the service that you need? Right. Are you getting that, the speed that you need? And a lot of this is being used for the, oh, the, the poorer areas. Well, it should be a human right. Everybody should be able to have broadband. And that's where the, the stuff, the questions start coming in. And, you know, for me, 25, oh, yes, seems the, the universal declaration of human rights, which, which starts out strong with shit like, you know, the right to freedom of speech and expression and the, the right to not be killed in your sleep by an oppressive regime. And then quickly devolves into, oh yeah, the right to you know, at waffle cones on every Sunday afternoon and the right to free broadband, whatever the hell that means. Yes, but you want it. You want it. You want it to be free, but you're right. The minute if the FCC came out and was like this 25, three sucks. So now you need to be a hundred and uh, down and at least 20 up. You'd have marketing saying you don't really need broadband. Our plans are more than fast enough and cheaper than. Oh yeah, exactly. It, it would be spun in every possible direction. So I'm honestly okay with the FCC not changing the definition of broadband. And in fact, if it turns out that 25.3 is insufficient for many applications, which I think it's probably on the border of being what with the amount of video moving around. Yes. And, and especially, you know, the, the amount of people streaming these days, three megabits is not enough to stream an effective video 
signal. I'm just saying. And uh, I'm I'm not even talking about Twitch or something like that. This isn't about broadcast streaming. This is about Zoom calls. Right. This this is about uh, you know everybody has been forced it to home to make sure that you you know all of your human contact now happens via a video screen and video takes bandwidth and three megabits up is not really enough anymore. But if the FCC decides that they need to start splitting up things greater than their current version of broadband, then they might just take a cue from, from the private industry and, you know, redefine it. Like, you know, remember when the the worst video you can possibly find on any TV these days is high def. And, you know, then there's, there's ultra high def and then, you know, 4k and 8k create a new definition of, you know, maybe, maybe call it wide band and wide band is, is 50 up and 25 down or something. Create a new specification, something that doesn't already have meaning, and you're going to avoid a lot of the hype. Well, yeah, let's forget the fact that a lot of people still think uh, standard def is fine. And it is for watching television, even on you know big screen. Standard definition. Uh, oh, oh, fine. Big screen. Uh, the, the place where standard def is perfectly OK is on a, the screen. A lot of people watch on the, the, the phone. Like, little three inch screen on their phone where. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK. Standard yeah. def is oh, overkill for that. Yeah, look, Retina display. This thing has seventy million pixels. Okay, well, I can see seventy of them. Right, that uh, that is a little bit of overkill, but that is the way Apple likes to do things. And other companies, we shouldn't just pick on the poor folks at Apple. But we do have some people to thank as experts on today's show. We have both Bruce City Mike, who's been digging the show, and our buddy Sir John Fletcher. And uh, we can we can include Harry Hamster again because he had two on the last show, and I think one came through right. When we were doing the show last time, he's always around, but we appreciate, appreciate easy for me to say everybody for listening to grumpy old bands and for supporting the show. You can do so. We work on the value for value model at grumpy Click one of those buttons to subscribe. Click one of those buttons to donate or use the QR code. If you like Bitcoin or the PO box address, if you like to go old school and, you know, just, just buy some stamps, keep the post office going. That's what the millennials want. Buy some stamps, yeah, Bemrose. Do, do we care what the millennials want? No, but they think that's the answer to the post office. Buy some stamps. <laughs> It'll be fine. I mean, even if you're never going to use them, just go buy some stamps. Won't this be kumbaya? Um, what, do you, what do you do with the stamps? Are you going to wallpaper your room? I Maybe. Mean, seriously, take I mean, this one through. Just buy them and throw them away because you want to help the post office. You know what you call this? Socialism. You're giving money I, and getting nothing in return. Well, well I mean. Maybe you're getting a stamp. Or- yeah <laughs> i don't know that's a story for another day we, yes well we should talk about that on another day maybe or not yeah and uh we will be back i believe on friday and uh for more of the grumpy old bends oh, you dreamer you <laughs> this grumpy old bends excitement but until then i am darren o'neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle america just outside of shy where the weather is hot and the protests are easy and from America's left coast, where poking the bear is our national redneck pastime. I'm Ryan Bemrose. You're allowed to poke the bear there? I thought in the forest you're not supposed to mess with the bears because they're dangerous. Well, you're, you're not supposed to mess with them because they mess back. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs>